Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Bob Nielsen and Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile. On this Purdue Crop Chat episode 15, pouring over data this winter, and how about that snow? Was it helpful to Indiana soils? The snow that's that heavy and wet is it's not going to solve the drought, but it's certainly nice to get that and you know we're going to need even more bob and i i mean we're looking for practical uses of the the data practical uses of the drones this podcast is made possible by the indiana corn and soybean checkoffs corn and soybean checkoff dollars are being invested wisely to help bring dollars back to your farm we do this by defending and growing domestic and international demand for corn soybeans and livestock products in fact every checkoff dollar u.s soybean farmers have invested in international promotion has resulted in an $18 return back to the farm. Learn more about these programs by visiting indianasoybean.com slash movingthepile. Brought to you by Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoff Dollars. Now your host for Purdue Crop Chat, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer and I've got a couple of great guests. As always, the stars of the show, Sean Castile. Soybean Specialist, Purdue Extension. Hello, Sean. Howdy, Eric. And Bob Nielsen is here, Purdue Extension Corn Specialist. Hi, Bob. Hi, good to be here again. It's been a little while since we've done this. Uh, it's been a little quiet out there. Uh, it's kind of the, the off-season, if you will. A lot of uh, farmers pouring over data and doing all sorts of other things, getting ready here for planting season. Uh, but since we last spoke, uh, we did get some final, if you will, numbers from USDA and wanted to touch on those a little bit. Uh, Bob, we'll we'll start with you and corn. Uh, 187 bushels per acre, not too bad for Indiana. Not too bad. It's uh, not a record yield. Our our record was 189 and and this January report came in a bushel or two lower than the November one. So uh, it's probably reflects some of the among other things, some of the droughtier areas uh, up in the northwest, north central part of the state that had lower yields. But yeah, certainly it's uh, an above average yield. It's uh, somewhere between six and seven percent above the trend line. So uh, all in all, a, a pretty decent year. Um, not much widespread stress other than the the drought that we talked about before that is still an issue at the moment up across the northwest part of the state and, and maybe into the north central. But uh, all in all, a uh, pretty good year. Uh, certainly much fewer headaches than the year before with the late planting. And uh, and you couple the reasonably good yields with the, the nice uptick in prices that we've had. And I think a lot of folks are feeling much better at this point than they would have thought a year ago as we you know we're still thinking about the season. Absolutely, especially, uh, you know, here, gosh, a month from now, we'll be almost a full year into the whole coronavirus pandemic, Um, you know, especially from that standpoint, what people were thinking things might look like in a year. Um, You know, I I certainly think it's good news. And and Sean, it it was a record for soybeans. Yes, it was, Uh, just barely. Uh, It kept uh, ticking down as the months went along, but 58 bushels at the state level, Uh, that's half bushel higher than the record we had in 2016, and then that was repeated in 2018 at 57 and a half bushel. So, I mean, again, a a good year for soybeans, no doubt. I think a lot of that is echoing the same thing that Bob 
Bob mentioned the areas that were getting drought prone and then some of the later beans that were getting planted later and harvested later. So um, overall, though, I mean, having state yields at 58 bushel has nothing to nothing to sneeze at it it's good yielding beans and then again uh, again echoing prices have been going up i mean there's there's quite a bit going in the favor coming into this 20 uh 21 season now bob you mentioned that drought is is still a bit of an issue in some parts of the state here and uh you know we did get a little bit of snow or quite a bit here in uh, the tippecanoe county area uh the snow is it good for the soils at this point was it much needed oh Certainly, and, and I think maybe particularly given how heavy wet of a snow it was, there's a lot of moisture in those six or eight inches that, that we had around here. And and I guess, honestly, I haven't heard of the amounts that they've gotten farther north in that storm. But but the snow that's that heavy and wet, is it, it's not going to solve the drought, but it, it's certainly nice to get that. And uh, But, you know, we're going to need even more uh frequent or at least reliable rainfall as we move into spring to try and reduce that drought threat even more. And uh, so, you know, it, as always, it remains to be seen as to what the weather is going to do from here on out. But certainly getting that much snow at this point in time is sort of nice. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll be fortunate and get even more snow before it finally warms up. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, there. I don't think there's really any detriment to it per se. Uh, anywhere and and for those areas that are going to experience what below zero in the next few days or so you know that kind of heavy snowfall on any wheat or cover crops that are out there is going to be beneficial but um so other than that yeah i i don't know that i appreciated the heavy wet snow here pushing out of the all that stuff out of the lane but nevertheless it's good to relieve some of the drought stress well, I know from my standpoint, uh, three kids love playing in that wet snow. So it was easy to make some big snowmen that are as tall as me and roll a, a boulder down and have something to play on. So, no, the wet snow, I, I agree. I think that um, we, we definitely need it when you look at where we're at the state last week before the rain. I think we had about a third of the state was abnormally dry in that northwest corner and um, to the the what I call they call the drought one status about 15 percent so definitely in areas that were needing it and so again that soil recharge I think that's one that a lot of people going into the, the middle of the winter we enjoyed the fall to get some applications out of fertilizer but um, getting some recharge is definitely in need. You're listening to the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast with Bob Nielsen and Sean Castile. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and we'll be back right after this. Want to check in on your checkoffs? Twice a month, you can do just that with the brand-new Move in the Pile podcast. Listen to the most up-to-date news about your corn and soybean checkoff investments, along with a brief market report after every episode. Sign up to receive the podcast today by texting CHECKOFF to 31996 or visit indianasoybean.com Moving the pile. Brought to you by Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoff Dollars. And from the checkoff, an opportunity for you to save a few dollars. This year, Commodity Classic is a virtual event, and the first 5,000 farmers to register get free registration. After that, the cost is $20. But Indiana Soybean Alliance and Indiana Corn Marketing Council are offering a coupon code for free registrations. What you need to do is fill out a form at indianasoybean.com slash classic. That's indianasoybean.com slash classic. Now your host, Eric Pfeiffer, back with more Purdue Crop Chat. 
All right, we're back on the Purdue Crop Chat. Bob Nielsen is here. Sean Castile is here. And, uh, gentlemen, this has been kind of an interesting uh, meeting season. Normally, you know, I would have all sorts of trips to be reporting on right now. I'd be going all sorts of places like, uh, you know, San Diego for the American Farm Bureau Convention and, and just a number of other places. Uh, but we're things are getting canceled. Things are getting moved around. Uh, we just got news today. The Fort Wayne Farm Show has been canceled. Um Talk a little bit about how different this meeting season has been, uh, not just for growers, but for you as well. Sean, I'll start with you. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we've traveled actually more, but we've been in the comfort of our home. Um, Bob and I are both kind of smiling as we, we talk about this, that the out-of-state requests are even more because it, it doesn't cost anything to Zoom, right? I mean, so, you know, I think in that regard, there's been more opportunities to talk to a lot more people, agronomists, farmers from Missouri to Southeast to, to wherever you want to your little trip to go. I mean, there's times in years past, I, I'd have a trip in January, first week of January. I still don't know why I would agree to these, but up in Ontario and, you know, those kind of trips are a lot easier now. Um, but it is a different world. It's a virtual world. And I think we're all learning as we go through this. I, I go back to field day seasons last year and trying to figure all this out and, I mean, there's plenty of bumps in the road from um, from a university level to industry type field days. And now I don't know if we're going to say we're old pros at this, but I mean, there is a lot more interactions that are occurring. I think that um, the type of uh, events that we're able to get to, we're getting decent numbers, if you want to think about that, and decent interactions. So, for instance, there's virtual conferences that we've had with the Indiana CCA conference, Bob, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we were close to the, the normal number of six, 800 people I think in so. registration, right? Yeah. Uh, last week our, we had our Purdue crop management workshop and I, I want to say it was close to 900 or a thousand registered. And that's pretty much near our, our numbers for that five day typical road show. Um, so I think uh, we're doing well in that regard as best we can. And then uh, I guess I'll do one more comment and let Bob talk about some of his side of things. But on the Purdue Extension side, our field crops working group, uh, we've we've uploaded upwards of 30 recorded talks. Uh, we're calling them nuggets to do a little a la carte for our extension educators to put programs together. So then and again, in this virtual world, they're still getting our content and getting our, our latest updates and research. And so uh, that's all put together. Our educators are working through that and then to provide that, whether you go to a venue and watch our talks, because again, limited on, you know, whether it's orange red status or we just do it all virtually and then still be available for whether it's live uh, question and answer when we're, we're, we're given that talk or to get the emails or even text messages later. I, and I'd agree with all that. And I'd, I'd also say that I'm, I continue to be amazed at the resilience of everybody in this industry. The, our ability to pivot and do what we've done to go virtual, which neither one of us would have thought a year ago that, I mean, we, you and I have talked about doing this before, Sean, but we yep. kept dragging our feet and look what we've done in the last 12 months. And, but also the, the, our clientele. I mean, the, the, the farmers and the consultants and the, and the industry agronomists and how they have, all, they have also pivoted to become accustomed to Zoom and accustomed to these virtual meetings and show up with the attendance like Sean was mentioning. I, I just think it's remarkable how we've all have adapted. None of us probably like it, but we've adapted to it. We hope it's going to end sooner than later, uh, but I suspect we're going to be stuck with it for at least the rest of this uh, winter season. 
Um, so no, I'm, I, I'm pleased with it all. I mean, honestly, I've learned a few new things myself about the technology and, you know, it's always about learning new stuff and everything. So, uh, I've been pleased and I, I agree with Sean, I've been doing more virtual traveling out of state than I've ever done. I, I go to Kansas in the morning and North Carolina in the afternoon. And, you know, I couldn't do that in the real world. And, and I did my stint up in Ontario and I believe Sean, they said they had, uh, I believe for that. Uh, big show. They had 1,700 registered. Outstanding. Um, I've been to Ukraine twice in the past uh, so many <laughs> months. Uh, so no, it, it's been interesting. It, it really has. And again, I, I don't profess to en- actually enjoy it because I all I mean both of us, any of us in extension would prefer to be face to face. But I will say I'm pleased at what we've been able to do and the reception we've had uh, from all the folks that we work with. So uh, hopefully it's. Uh, made it a little less of a of a of a, a pain or a nuisance for people to still be able to, to get their information like that so it's uh it's been an experience to say the least and when you do these bob what what types of things are you talking to people about what what types of uh nuggets of information are you giving out about indiana agriculture so probably the most frequent presentation I've done this winter has simply been uh, sort of a, a general kind of presentation on high yield corn and, and start off talking about uh, you know what goes on at the National Corn Yield Contest and talking about those unbelievably high yields that those winners are able to achieve at, at that contest and then step back and start asking the question of, well, you know, can, what can we learn from those folks in, in order to, to achieve such high yields? And, and honestly, the, the answer to that is you don't learn much <laughs> because those people tend to be throwing the kitchen sink at those contest fields. And so it's really hard to learn much about uh, ways to improve corn yield when you're throwing everything at it in one fell swoop. But so then we get back into more thoughtful kind of agronomic approaches, you know, and, and that really gets down to identifying those yield limiting factors on your specific fields. And then that leads us sort of into that whole discussion of, you know, drainage and hybrid selection and weed control and this and that, just the good common sense agronomic decisions that we all have to make. And so that's probably been my most frequent topic uh, on these virtual meetings this winter is just about how can we continue increasing corn yields and I don't want to say cheaply, let's say profitably uh, and sustainably. And and there's been a lot of interest in that. Sean, what about you? What's been the most uh, pressing topic? Well, I think uh, last year, last fall, we talked a lot about having a good fall with uh, applications for fertilizer and soil test. And, and over the last few years, I've had a uh, a number of nutrient uh, trials and, and one of which has obviously been sulfur. That's been a hot topic for, for me. And so uh, we continue to give the updates on what we've been trying to dive into uh, the straight sulfur supply and situations where we're going to see that. And then it's kind of that intense management aspect that Bob's talking about um, seeing if there is uh, some synergies out there with sulfur and some of the in-season management. So sharing some of those results uh, in that process, um, we're also looking at, uh, we've had potash applications on soybeans that have kind of surprised us with uh, past uh, high yield management trials. So, I mean, we're talking four or five years ago, I thought there were little flukes here and there that these uh, these applications were, you know, reducing uh, soybean yields, but they were done at planting. And so trying to dive through that a little bit and share nuggets of what we've been finding with that application and then 
we talked about speaking out of state a couple different times. And so I was on a panel about potassium with a few other folks from the upper part of the Corn Belt and seeing similar results in terms of some issues with potash application on soybean and, and having a little bit of negative effect when it's as close to planting. From my standpoint, that's what I've been, been seeing. And then even some others where the higher rates of uh, have been causing issues. And with, with those, that's been probably the chloride content. And so trying to work through that um, and, and see what's there, not to uh, cause everyone to say stop, hold, but at least think about what's going forward and, and then how they're making those applications. And I guess the other one that's been high on the list is just, you know, technology has been huge. And so Bob and I have been in drones for a while and doing some updates on some of our, our drone work and assessing soybean populations and, and early stands. Well, you mentioned drones, and I actually just did a story here earlier this week about the the new digital agriculture webinar series that uh, begins on Thursday. And I believe, Sean, you're one of the featured speakers in that uh, webinar series. I think, is it next week that you're in there? Yep, yep. I'm on the docket for next uh, Thursday, the 11th. And so, uh, you know, uh, big data. You know, people worried about, you know, where is their data going to go if they give it up and, and those types of things. Um you know, it kind of sounds like a whole uh, a lot of farmers have a whole bunch of data that maybe they just don't know what to do with, and uh, hopefully this webinar series uh, will will help shed some light on some of that. Well, certainly, I think the series is intended to see what opportunities are out there, give some ideas, whether they're the the turnkey answer straight away. But you know, we're certainly within our our space uh, again. I'll, I'll Bob and I. I mean, we're looking for practical uses of the the data, practical uses of the drones. So whether it's you know these man flights that are stitching everything together, or the casual observations, and then to to build on that that when we have. I'll just go with the oodles and oodles of yield data, right? I mean, so you how talk large about, is an oodle, Sean? How large <laughs> is an oodle? Oodle, it's a little bit more than a, a skosh, but you know, a lot more. Yeah. So, is, is that metric? Um, is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a lot out there, and trying to understand, you know, the yield maps. That's probably one of the biggest things we've got that are poorly understood. And so I, I think the drones uh, provide an opportunity to maybe help explain some nuances of the field characteristics. So, yeah, we're looking to looking forward to it. I think the sheer volume of the data that we accumulate today is, is what's overwhelming. And, you know, Sean and I as researchers should be a little more skilled than most at handling all this data. But, but you know, I struggle all the time with all the data that I'm accumulating and trying to keep it organized and 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 just simply archived in a way that I can find it. And I, it, it's a huge challenge. And, and farmers are, are gathering even more data than we are over their whole operation. So you know, it's, it's a huge challenge to not just take care of it and archive it and, and make sure you don't lose it, but then interpreting it all in, in a meaningful way. And I think that's, that's uh, you know, probably one of the key things that will be developing over the next five years or so is even better simpler ways for farmers at the farm level to just work with all the data that they have at hand because, you know, Sean mentioned yield maps. I mean, that's just one of, I'll say a bazillion, Sean, that's bigger than an oodle, but but it's one of a bazillion kinds of data that we collect. And, and I'll agree, I think a lot of farmers just don't use their yield data in a really productive way. And, and what I often tell farmers is that the simplest thing to use your yield maps for is to simply point you to those areas in your fields that need your attention, whether it's with soil sampling or 
plant tissue sampling next season or assessing drainage or assessing for disease, but using them as roadmaps to help you identify those perennial problem areas. Uh, and that's what you can focus on to improve yields at the farm level. Yeah, I think a lot of this comes into it. We just get paralyzed. I mean, I, at least I'll speak to myself. I mean, you think about the amount of data that we're bringing in, um, it's just, it's overwhelming. And so trying to work through that and have a flow to it. And so whether you're you're trying to bootstrap that yourself or to figure out, okay, there's a lot of server providers out there. Who can you team up with that that can help, you know, work through that? Whether that's a catch-all, it, it brings it all together, which and concept makes a lot of sense, but who knows, maybe you need uh, one or two more just avenues to uh, service providers to work through that data and, and to figure it out. And digital data is just one part of it. There's all the background information that you need to preserve. And that's what I find is, is you know, at, at a point in time, I'll say, oh, yeah, I'll remember what we did in this trial and on this year. And then maybe three years later, I go back to that year and say, okay, I want that data now. Let's see. What, what, when did we plant that or what, what was this? What was that? And I failed to write down the background information. And yet that can be so important on interpreting the digital data that you're collecting. And that's where I, I think uh, uh, everyone needs to do a better job of just also managing, well, creating and managing this so-called metadata. That's the background information that really explains the uh, the background or the nature of the digital data, you know, that we're collecting. So it, it's a, it's a huge challenge and a time consuming challenge that I think, unfortunately, a lot of farmers just don't feel they have the time themselves. And that's why they're going out to consultants and, and the industry who are putting together some of these turnkey systems that Sean talked about. Analysis paralysis. It is certainly real. Um yep. And in, in addition to that, I've gone to a lot of farmers, uh, you know, shops and see drones that are sitting there that they, they don't know how to use. So they, they have these drones and don't know how to use them. But but there are programs out there through Purdue Extension that, that helps farmers with that stuff. I know, you know, uh, Bob, Sean, you, you both are very much into drones and there are a lot of programs out there about that. Yeah, certainly within our extension educator system, we've got. I've lost how many, I mean, initially we had 17 educators that got drones and I think it's built up since then. So across the state, we've got that representation in the, in the counties and then also signature programs to just kind of train through to understand whether it's to figure out how to get certified or just understand some of the basics of using it and what's available. I mean, you know, maybe you want to go herd your sheep for goodness sakes. Who knows? Bob, Sean, great discussion today and I appreciate you guys doing this and we'll do it again next month. All right, let's have a good year. Sounds good. See you later, Eric. This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extension's Dr. Bob Nielsen and Dr. Sean Castile, made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The Checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from Purdue Extension. Purdue Crop Chat was moderated by Hoosier Ag Today's Eric Pfeiffer. I'm Andy Eubank for Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension. And who's your ag today? Timely, relevant, credible.